Ladies and gentlemen, joining me on the line, and I'm going to take a running start at the last name because I messed it up the last time we talked. <laughs> Jeff Belanger is on the line. Did I get it? Nailed it. Oh, yeah. At well least done. once in this interview, I'll get it right. So Perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff is on the line with me right now. Uh, you may remember Jeff. He was on the show with me a couple, maybe about a year or two ago. Uh, you joined us to talk about Shock Docs, The Devil Made Me Do It. Oh, right, yeah, for Discovery, sure. Yeah, was that a cool deal to do that stuff? Yeah, I did, I've done about I did seven of the Shock Docs um, on different stories. You know, it, it, this is my whole life. I'm always looking into haunts and weird, creepy stories all over the world. And so when you get to sort of tell one of those tales and, and comment on it, it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty interesting thing. It's about one day of filming for me, yeah. and, and then they do what they do, and then out it comes, and everybody remembers it. And you're like, wow, I worked for years and years on other stuff, and no one wants to talk about it. <laughs> but it's, you know, like they, you're on TV, and you're like, wow. Um, but, but those stories captivate us, right, because they get made into movies. They get part of our popular culture, and, but they all started somewhere, like yeah. with a real story, whether it was a real crime or a real haunting, and evolved from there. On your website, you've got exploring the unexplained as kind of the, the overall message with this. Tell us a little bit about you, because you're an author. You uh, do the TV and movie stuff. You do, uh, uh, do, do you get into the paranormal research? I'm, just what's your whole deal with the paranormal and the world of the weird? Yeah, so I, w I grew up in uh, Sandy Hook, Connecticut, and that was the town next to Monroe, Connecticut, still is the town next to Monroe, Connecticut. <laughs> it moved? And, <laughs> they didn't move it. It's still there. Um, and, Ed, and Ed and Lorraine Warren are from Monroe, Connecticut. So okay. uh, from all the, the Conjuring movies and so on, I knew them since I was 13 years old. No way, and, really? So I grew up around that. But back then, they, they didn't have movie deals back then. They were just regional weirdo celebrities, you know, that would come around in October and tell us about haunted places. So I would go see that stuff and I grew up with friends that said their houses were haunted, and, and I went to school to be a writer and started writing feature stories about haunts and history, and then started a website, and then started writing books, and then started working for the show Ghost Adventures on Travel Channel, and I've worked on every episode since the first one 15 years ago, and it, it's just one of these things where I have this career that I never could have planned, but yeah. I wouldn't trade it for anything, and so once you start doing this stuff, like, this is everything that I do. And so I'm always looking into weird legends and lore all over. Um, you know, and then I started my own podcast, New England Legends, where we just look at weird stories in the Northeastern U.S. And it, it's it's just, it's such an awesome way to not only make a living, but also to, to see different cultures and get below the surface because people only share those stories with folks they trust. Well, that was, that was why I wanted to ask because, you know, I've talked to, I've interviewed a lot of people in the paranormal world or they're just, uh, you know, an author that likes to write about it or to do the true crime. So it's always kind of neat to see, okay, where do you actually sit with this stuff? I'm a believer. Let there be no doubt. I mean, I, I, I don't just write about it. I want to go there. I want to see it. I want to experience it. I mean, I've been in medieval castles and old prisons and abandoned hospitals. I've been in uh, quarantine asylums in Australia and castles and battlefields. And I want to go. And, and I don't consider myself psychic or sensitive or anything like that. I've always said, like, I don't know where the ghosts are, but I absolutely know where they were. Uh, and so, you know, who knows? And once in a while, once in a blue moon, something weird happens, and I look and I go, you know what? I don't have another word for that. If if not a ghost, I don't I don't know what else it is that I just saw. And that's that's a pretty profound moment when it happens for you. See, that's uh, interesting because, like, I've talked about that with my wife, who she doesn't believe in any of this stuff. Nothing, but she's never had an experience that she can't explain. Well, really? Because 
you know what's funny? There's so many things in our lives that we can't explain. Uh, for example, uh, love. You can't put love in a jar and say this is this is how much I love my wife or my mm-hmm. child or how much I love chicken wings or or football or whatever, right? You can't put humor. Uh, what you find funny, I may not, and vice versa. Pain, physical pain. If I stick a needle in your arm, most yeah. people would look and say, oh, I bet that hurts. But how much does it hurt? Some people have a high tolerance. Some people have a low tolerance. So there's all these human experiences that we all know exist because hopefully we've experienced love and anger and, and humor and, and pain and all that stuff, but we can't measure it or put it in a jar or prove that it's real to anybody else. Uh, but we all know it's there. And so I think sometimes, though this is on the fringe, it touches on something really primal that's in all of us. And you don't have to believe in an afterlife. You could be an atheist, but there's still uh, some sense that we do go on. We still talk about people who are, have deceased, whether it's grandparents, relatives, artists, politicians, whoever. You know, we, we carry those stories forward, and we carry their essence with us, too. It's a really, really interesting world, and that's a great way to sum it up. Yeah. I mean, the story itself still has value. The reason something haunts us is because we can't let it go. Yeah. And it's not just me or you. I mean, this is a whole community that, that keeps these, these stories alive. Like, why do we talk about this one building being haunted and that one we don't? It's because something weird's happening and folks are telling the story and we find it believable enough that we also tell it and maybe we even go there. What was the first story for, or the first experience for you that was like, okay, there's something to this stuff? I had been writing about ghosts for about six years before I had my first experience. And it was in 2003, it was 20 years ago. And I was in Paris, France, and I was down below the city in the catacombs, surrounded by millions of human skeletons, and I was alone. (laughs) (laughs) No one would go with me. (laughs) So I'm down there, and and I'm walking through these skeletons, and I see this long straightaway ahead of me, and this shadow the size of a man comes from the right side and goes to the left and back again. And I just went, okay, wait a minute. You know, I'm down here alone. There's no one around. And then I thought, oh, maybe there's a little side tunnel, and I missed somebody. Nope, no side tunnel. It was straight all the way. And I just thought, if that's not a ghost, I don't know what other word I can give you for it. I mean, that was, and it, it took days, it took weeks to fully sink in. And I went back, I went back a few years later, and I went to that same section. And I, this time I did have someone with me, and I was like, okay, I'm back, here, come on out. Yeah, right? yeah, and yeah. Nothing, nothing. It, it, I, lightning doesn't always strike twice. And why were you down there in the first place? Because <laughs> I, I had a day to myself in Paris, and I wanted to write about it. And I knew that was like the creepiest place I could go. So <laughs> my, some other people were like, oh, we're going to the Louvre. I'm like, ah, I'll catch up with you. Um, and so I went down below the below the city, and it was it was amazing. I mean, I don't know. You, you can you can see the stuff that all the tourists see, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is fine. I get it. Uh, and I did eventually see the Mona Lisa. Okay, right, check, right? But... <laughs> Uh, but I also went below the city into the underbelly where there's just literally millions of skeletons. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, I, there's Jeff just pulling it. up the manhole cover going on. I don't get another You know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't even occur to me to go see what everybody else sees when I go anywhere, right? Not just Paris, but like any town anywhere. I'm just like, okay, cool. Yeah, that's the famous architecture or whatever. But where's, uh, where's, the, where's the weird stuff? You know, okay. show me that. So it's always been kind of up your alley, then, is what we're Always. Saying. Okay, yeah. okay. Always, yeah. Do you have a favorite more than other? Like, is it ghosts for you? Is that your flavor? Is it, you know, aliens, big, you know, what what's kind of the one that really resonates with you? It was ghosts first, okay. always. And and from there, but, but then once you start going down the rabbit hole, like, why go halfway? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you just go. Yeah, but I think everybody has stuff that, like, the cryptozoology stuff doesn't do it as much for me. It's, yeah. I, I mean, it's not that I don't 
think it's interesting or whatever, but would I rather hear a ghost story? Yeah, that that's me. Well, right, because it's literally human uh, as opposed to crypto, which is zoology, which is animal. I mean, yeah. it could be, right, like, okay, maybe you don't care about aardvarks either. You no, know? I don't. I, I, yeah, right. And <laughs> you didn't strike me as an aardvark kind of guy. So uh, I get it. So, no, so yeah, definitely ghosts. But I think all of it's interesting when we see something that doesn't compute, right? So when, when, yeah. when you're, when hunters, and the, the story is so similar, I'm in a tree stand, I've hunted these woods for 20 years, I know every animal, I've seen skunks and deer and everything else, and this eight foot tall hairy creature walks by and then just is gone through the woods. And you look at that and you go, well, either this person's crazy and making up a story, which for what, right? What do you yeah. get out of that? Or they just are scratching their head going, the world is different than I thought it was this morning. And I love any story that can make us say that. When, when you see a UFO and you see lights in the sky and you go, okay, yeah. We don't, when our military goes on national news shows and says, yeah, you see that craft that I filmed in my F-16? We don't have anything that can do that. Can you grasp what stage we're at? <laughs> yeah. You're charged, right? When, when, when the, the government allows that pilot to go on a national news show, allows and says, yeah, go ahead and tell everyone. We don't, it's not ours and we, it does stuff that we can't do. That's really something. See, I've been That's, diving into this stuff for long enough that I see that and I go, what are they not showing us? Oh, right. can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, can you imagine? I remember, remember in the Gulf War when um, in the 80s, everybody was seeing these black triangles in the sky and yeah. saying, oh, they're UFOs, they're UFOs. You probably were seeing black triangles. It's called the stealth bomber, yeah. but it was classified. And then in, during the Gulf War, I remember Norman Schwarzkopf in a press conference, they, they got one. They were able to shoot a, a stealth bomber out of the sky, and one of the reporters said, hey, are you worried that this technology is falling into enemy hands? And he just scoffs. He's like, that's 30-year-old tech. <laughs> <laughs> and he's right. He's not kidding. It's not, he's not even a lie. It's totally true. And I remember thinking and laughing and going, oh, my gosh, what do we have now? Yeah. <laughs> right? No, totally, because I always think that about – you think about, uh, you know, a, a nuclear bomb. It's, that's almost 100-year-old technology at this point. That's right. It's yeah, 80, yeah. you know, about 80, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. But yeah. A, a century later, what are we doing? Oh, God. <laughs> Who could, uh, you can't even imagine, right? And, and so I wonder, the, the, the reality is we don't have all the answers. No. And when you talk about paranormal, you get to talk about, uh, you know, what happens after we die without talking about religion. Because religion divides us and it makes us yeah. fight and we argue. You know, and when you talk about UFOs, are we alone in the universe? And, and what does that mean? And when we talk about cryptids, you're saying, do we know every creature that walks the earth with us and why? And we don't. We don't have all the answers. And that makes some people nuts. Some people need to think that everything is black and white and we have all the answers. And uh, folks like me, I'm pretty comfortable with gray area. I'm, I'm great with it. I like, I like that we can still ask questions and still look for answers, that we don't know everything. I love that you're into the world of the weird. I really wow. am. <laughs> you know what else I love, which doesn't get enough ink anywhere, is like roadside oddities. When someone yeah. puts something really strange up somewhere just for the sake. Like there's, <laughs> I live in Massachusetts. There's this fork in the road. And years ago, this sculptor built a 15-foot-tall a fork. Really? <laughs> and in the summer, a hot dog will be on it in July. And in the winter, That's a wreath will be on it. I'm like, I love that someone just saw this thing and did it. And and like and, and if that stays there long enough, I mean, imagine if that fork were to survive for like hundreds of years, people would think it was a sacred site and that we prayed to it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? No, no, I get it because uh, that just happened uh, not too long ago in my hometown. 
uh, Polk City, Iowa, you know, just small town central Iowa. But uh, there was a tree, and I can't remember if it was struck by lightning. I think it was struck by lightning, but the, the, the kind of discoloration on the side of it, from a distance, vaguely looked like the Virgin Mary. Oh, sure, yeah. And so people started putting, you know, candles and, you know, uh, flowers and, you know, that sort of thing around it. And no, I, so I totally get that. Yeah, totally yeah, yeah. Get that. because we need to find meaning in chaos, right? A, a lightning strike is literally as chaotic and random as you, a thing as you can get, and then it leaves something behind, and you look and you say, "Oh, it could be that's that's Mary. It's a it's a sign, literally a sign from God." And then it just takes a couple people to light a candle, and off we go. Jeff Belanger on the line with me right now as we talk about the world of the weird. Among all the things you are, Jeff, an author is one of those. How do you uh, grab the topics? How do you get into the subjects you write about? So for me, so writing books uh, is incredibly labor intensive. It takes a long time and it pays really poorly. It's, <laughs> so I can't right. recommend enough. If you're an aspiring author, get into anything else. Uh, but I funny do sounds it. like radio. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've got friends. I've got enough friends in radio. Absolutely, you do it because you love it. And, and if you don't, because yeah, you're not making much money at it. Um, so, but it, it's one of those things where for me, it's like an exorcism. So I, I have an idea, and I, I don't really write ideas down, because if I forget them in a day or two, they probably weren't that good. Yeah. But if they keep gnawing at me, you know, eventually I go, oh, gosh, I gotta, I'm going to have to work on this, or it's going to keep bothering me and bothering me. And, and the ghosts turn to demons, and then the only way to get it out is to perform an exorcism, which for me is yeah. sometimes writing a book and getting it all down and saying, all right, now it's out there, it's out of me, and I can be okay and think about something else. Because I'm not even fun to be around when I'm working on a book. Oh, awesome. <laughs> it's awful. You know, it's it's long hours, and you're like, oh, i got to interview please, this person or, or whatever. It never ends. Please tell me you're not that guy that uses that as an excuse. Oh, don't worry about it. I'm just writing a book right now. Yeah, right. yeah I'm not an alcoholic. I'm an author. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's true. It could be. Anyways, um, you've got a number of books on different topics, so it's just really the one that sticks with you. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I lots of stuff interests me, and and sometimes it just starts with a question, and you start thinking about it and going, well, what is the answer to that? And maybe other people would have that question too. And and I find some of the best books uh, answer just like one question. And, yeah. And, and and because it's just so specific, and you you never thought. It was that complex until you start to go down the, the, the rabbit hole with the, the writer and the author, and you say, oh, wow, I, I want to know too now. Now I want to see where this journey ends. I, I, didn't, I hadn't considered that. I saw on the, uh, on the book listing, uh, Who's Haunting the White House is re the revised edition. What caused the revision? I had a hit. <laughs> so what happens is the first one did really well, and it ran out of printing. <laughs> All and right. so the, the publisher said, hey, we have a new president, and this was this – was, um, back when Obama became president. They said, there's a new president. Can we update it and put it out again? And I said, sure. I mean, there's always new stories coming out. So um, so that was the revised edition. Was uh, When you see a revised edition, usually means the first one did pretty well. That's awesome. <laughs> Congratulations on that. Yeah. Thanks. I thought it was going to be, oh, we had more stories we added, or I got the chance to talk to you. <laughs> well, was well, a, nope. It was a hit. That I made a, a load of money off <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a load of money. It was enough. But but the thing is, there were more stories. Here's the thing with the stories of the White House yeah. is that it takes a solid like four plus years after a president gets out before you start hearing the stories from that president. So you're always like one or two presidents behind. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, just because like, you know, as soon as someone's right out of office, they're not going to be like, I got to tell you how haunted this place was. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, that, yeah. That's not going to be the first interview they give. Um, it, it, and their kids, if their kids live there too, like that, those stories just start to trickle out over time. 
Um, so yeah, so part of it is just there is a, a layer of privacy and secrecy there that it takes a while for those those little nuggets to sort of come out. But what, that's, that's what it was about. What's your favorite uh, uh, story from the White House? Oh, so by far, uh, the Lincoln's ghost comes up again and again, President Lincoln. And if you think about it, his presidency was the most challenging of all of them. I mean, there's not even a close second. His son died while he was in the White House. His nation's at war with itself. The Civil War is tearing the whole Union apart. And, of course, he paid the ultimate price. He was assassinated. And I, I think every president since has had an understanding that this is as, that's as bad as it has gotten so far but, and hopefully ever will. And so uh, I think we sort of keep him around. We summon him. And I spoke to one of the um, uh, one of the White House foremen uh, had a story where he was talking about he was going upstairs to turn the lights on on the second floor, which is uh, president. I mean, that's where the president and first family live. And he said he turned the lights on and there was Lincoln sitting outside the Lincoln bedroom, which actually used to be the executive office before the East and West Wings were added on. That was the uh, the president's office. And he said he was sitting there with his legs crossed, looked right at him, and then just slowly disappeared. <laughs> and and you look at that and you go, okay, wait. I, I mean, I know you're not going to make a, a Hollywood horror movie out of that, but it's the White House. And that foreman um, is been drug tested, psych screened, evaluated eight ways to Sunday. Yeah. Right? He worked at the White House. So that is as reliable of a witness as we'll ever find. And, he, and we know what Lincoln looks like. I mean, you're like, you sure it was him? I don't know. Can you, can you, can you pull a $5 bill out? And let, yep. Oh, yeah, that was the guy. That's right. Well, you, <laughs> That's you know, I saw. God, I didn't even think about that, Barry. These are people who've gone through security checks. Like you wouldn't believe security checks. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so if you work in the White House, you are you have wow. clearance. I mean, they are they have checked out your everything around you. You know, uh, to to verify that you're okay to be around the president, first family, and foreign heads of state. Wow, I didn't even think about that part of it. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's a great place. It's really a, a powerful historic place. It's uh, it's worth seeing if you ever get the chance. We got to go to the Capitol. We went there for a senior trip. We didn't go to the White House, but we got to go to the Capitol. And there's just a there is an energy in that town. Like I've never, never felt it. And I'm not saying I'm psychic by any means, but I mean, just the raw history, you know, and age of that town. It just, you, you feel it. You do. And, and decisions when, uh, I mean, especially the white house, I mean, decisions have been made inside those buildings, capital too, of course, that have changed borders, like, like affected millions, if not billions of lives, you know, not just Americans, but around the world, um, caused death and destruction, right? Some of the decisions that were made there, uh, many, many miles away. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, all that stuff. And there is a sort of gravitas to the whole town that uh, that I think you do pick up on. And every day I wake up grateful that I'm not a politician. <laughs> yeah, really right. Uh, author Jeff Belanger on the line with me right now as we talk about the world of the weird and everything in between. Uh, it brings us to your latest book, The Fright Before Christmas, Surviving Krampus and Other Yuletide Monsters. Now, you say you get stuck on ideas. Where where exactly did you get stuck on this idea? I can tell you the moment this book was born. It was like 10 years ago, and I live in Massachusetts, and it was cold. Early okay. one December when I was putting up the Christmas lights, half the damn things didn't work from when I threw them in the box 11 months ago when they did work. Uh, and I was putting the wreath on my front door. with It was fake wreath, plastic everything, and it had the little crafting wire that I was putting it on my door knocker. And the crafting wire was rusted, it broke, it fell to the ground, and I just screamed, humbug, <laughs> uh, which isn't true at all. I screamed, it was def- definitely a different word, but I did yell a word, and um, just one of those ones you can't say on the radio. 
And, uh, and I was just like, why on earth am I out here with my numb, cold fingers, putting up lights, putting up the wreath? Why December 25th? Why the Evergreen? Why Santa Claus? Why do we spend so much money on this one day? Why, why, why? I'm a Halloween guy anyway. I'm a paranormal guy. What am I even doing with Christmas? And I went, I, there's got to be answers to those questions. And then I remember the Andy Williams song, There'll yeah. Be Scary Ghost Stories and Tales of the Glories of Christmas yeah, and Long, yeah, yeah, Long yeah. And I went, scary ghost stories? I didn't grow up with ghost stories at Christmas. What the heck's going on here? And, and it, I started this deep dive, and I went into the – I broke Christmas apart into all its original pieces and put it back together. And I went, oh, my goodness. As a guy who likes creepy stuff – I used to think back in my younger naive days that Halloween was the scary holiday. Oh, Halloween is the warm-up act. (laughs) If you like creepy, it is the second creepiest holiday, and it is a distant second. I mean, uh, it's a time when, you know, the veil's thin and ghosts are around, and I guess some people are afraid of ghosts, sure. But Christmas has monsters that will kill you, literally tear you from your bed, bring you up to a mountain lair, cut you up, and kill you if you're naughty. That is... I mean, we don't worry about our lives in danger at Halloween, but Christmas was born in absolute darkness. It, it was born from the winter solstice. It was born when the, it's the shortest day, it's the longest night. We're looking down the barrel of the gun that is winter, and we realize, like, oh, my gosh, this is a dangerous season that we have to survive. And the only way we survive it is together, right? You can't get through this thing alone. And so all of these traditions were born of trying to survive winter, and and the monsters were there to keep us safe, uh, but to hunt us if we, we yeah. ventured too far off uh, off course. And um, and it's been a mishmash of so many different cultures and beliefs and countries. And and today we call it Christmas and and Santa and consumerism. But there's the really dark undertone to it that's been around a lot longer than even Christianity. It's really and and we, like I was saying, there's not a ton of stuff on there about or, or out there about this, especially from. You'll have the random person like, okay, this is what Krampus is all about, blah, 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 yeah. blah. But, I mean, you can really get into this stuff, and it is a – well, you want to talk about a melting pot of a lot of weird stuff going into one spot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's it, it, Christmas and the winter holiday. That's right. So so Krampus people know because he has movie deals. Yes. Right? He's, he's making a, a roaring comeback because – and he never went away, by the way. I would suggest to you that in your childhood, Krampus was around. You just didn't recognize him. But he didn't go by that name. He was green, and he lived above Whoville, right? <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't think the Grinch is a derivative of Krampus, right? I mean, you know, of course he is. He's, he's got all the, all the makings. Um, but, yeah, now today Krampus has movie deals, and he's doing Krampus runs and Krampus parades, and he's showing up in Christmas parades, all kinds of, of, of uh, great stuff. But there's so many other monsters out there from all over, especially northern Europe, because that, that was where winter was the toughest. So in Iceland, you've got the Grilla, who's a mountain troll who comes down to hunt children, and, and the Yule Cat, who's looking for new clothes, and Belschnickel from Germany, who he doesn't kill you, but he's just going to beat the naughty kids with a switch of sticks. <laughs> it's know? always I will say this, with all the Christmas, you know, uh, monsters and villains that, you know, with this time, it always seems like whatever they do, it's weird. Yeah. Like, it's well, beatable switches, or, hey, I'm coming down to steal clothes. <laughs> you know? Right, right. 
Yeah, well, but, but there's there was all, in each culture there's a there's a reason behind it. Like you used to hit kids with sticks. That's how it was, you yeah. know. And and so um, Belschnickel was it, it translates to Nicholas and Furs, and the, and the idea is that each community might have one. Belschnickel, by the way, is starting to show up in pop culture too. So I don't know if you ever watched The Office. Dwight Schrute showed up <laughs> as the Belschnickel <laughs> in one of the episodes, which was great. And that was what ten years ago, you know. Um, yeah. And and so uh, so Dwight Schrute got to be Belschnickel uh, in Christmas Chronicles two on Netflix with Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, the bad guy, the 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 antagonist in the movie, the is, little weird elf. The well, no, no, the, the the kid that wears the dark coat and has the long black yeah. hair. He's called Belschnickel. He and, is, and isn't he? He's called Belschnickel. So like you know, this this stuff's all coming back. It's oh, coming weird. back because. We're bringing it back, you know. And I mean, now in the movie, in that movie, he doesn't act like the traditional Belschnickel, but I love that they use the name because I, I remember his part. I didn't remember the name, but then I remembered he he turns back into an elf at the at the end, and it was strange how he was cuddling on Goldie Hawn. But what? that's probably a conversation for another time, <laughs> right? Yeah, different show, I think. But uh, but no, it, it's uh, the stuff is coming back because I think that the darker side of Christmas. And and by the way, what you're supposed to think and feel about Christmas, if you think about it, was was taught to you long ago in in the in the guise of a ghost story. And one of the greatest ghost stories ever written. I mean, I'm talking about Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, right? Yeah. I mean, that that story is so powerful because. First of all, we realize like if Scrooge can change, if Scrooge can face down his past and his present and and what his future will look like if he doesn't alter course, then we can change too. We can be redeemed. And I I've always thought that you know how can you see the light unless you're in a dark place? And Christmas provides that. It's literally dark. The days are really short. The nights yeah. are long. It's cold. It's frightening. We're scared. And if you face down your own demons, you know, the, the reason we give each other gifts is because we know we're going to have to help each other through the season. We, we, we exchange gifts. We, we bake each other breads and cookies and so on. We light the, our houses up with lights because we want to be beacons. We want to know that if something goes really wrong, that uh, if your roof collapses under the snow, you can come to my house and I'll give you shelter. And if my roof collapses, I might need to go to your house and take shelter. And and these traditions of uh, are are they go back thousands of years before Christianity, and it was only you know over time that everything just got kind of mixed together. But those roots, they were, those roots sort of come through, uh, whether it's the evergreens or the mistletoe or the wreaths or you know candy canes or, or all of that stuff. Um, you're talking about many many different cultures and beliefs that that came together to celebrate the winter solstice and to hunker down before this really frightening season settles in. Uh, the Fright Before Christmas, Surviving Krampus, and Other Yuletide Monsters. Jeff, while you were writing this, was was there uh, one that was like your holy S one? Like, oh, my God, I didn't know that, or didn't put it together. Was there one that stuck out to you? Yeah, there's there's one. Uh, the Karakonkalis from Bulgaria is a really strange one. He's He's like a subterranean Bigfoot with glowing eyes. Except he's never going to look like that because he's a shapeshifter. He can oh. shift into any person or form or whatever. And he only comes out at night. He comes out during the unholy days, which is right around the winter solstice and Christmas. And if he gets out, he's going to jump on your back and claw at you until dawn when he has to go back underground. <laughs> but but being a shapeshifter, he can look like anyone. So he could look like a relative. And I was thinking, like, you know how we all have that Anne Ethel that brings that horrible casserole? Yeah. Christmas? You know, like, so when she's knocking at the door this year, like, it might be Ethel. Could we? Probably is. But 
you know, do you want to risk it? I mean, what if it's the Karakonkalis trying to get in? I mean, just be like, hey, Ethel, I, I don't know. You might be this monster from Bulgaria, so we're going to go ahead and let you stay out there tonight. Oh, that's fun. Play uh, it safe. Hey, Jeff, and, and there's a reason I'm asking this. Like, I'm Swedish and German. Yeah. Did any of these stick out to, like, whatever your nationality is? Oh, of course. The Tomten from Sweden, uh, which is a little helper elf around the house, which yeah. if you've ever heard of uh, Elf on the Shelf is completely ripped off of the Tomten. You know, um, oh, I didn't know ripped, that part. I mean, I ripped off. I mean, inspired by, right? <laughs> uh, just like Grinch was inspired by Krampus, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, every country has its own version. France, uh, France has Père Futar, Father Whipper, who goes around and beats the naughty kids at the, you know, summoning of St. Nicholas. <laughs> Father <laughs> Whipper. <laughs> Father Whipper. Père Futar. Yeah, I mean, you know, every country has some version of uh, some monster that's there for the consequence. We got rid of all the consequences for bad behavior around this time of year. And that happened in the late 1920s. We started to get rid of all the consequences because Christmas became about consumerism and spending and buying presents and Santa Claus and, and not about, like, the, the dark stuff. But I, I think that dark stuff is coming back because they're getting movie deals and they're showing up on Netflix and they're in this new book called The Fright Before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> the way you worked in the shameless plug was perfect. Shameless. I love it. I know. No, but I, you, I you think that goes to uh, kind of the, just the survival rate? I mean, once you hit the 20s and lifespans start increasing, survival is maybe not as scary as it used to be with the winter months. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, we've gotten soft. We have snow plows now. And, and <laughs> yeah, if, if you're like, soft. oh, it's so cold out, let's just door dash some pizza, right? Like, you, you don't have to like, yeah, we've, we've gotten way softer. But if you just put your mind back, just even like 100 years, just a century, you know, it was a very different picture back then. And then two centuries, oh, forget it. I mean, this, this was really a season to be reckoned with. You know, you, you, you have to have enough food saved up. Yeah. You have to have enough supplies, enough f- uh, fuel to burn to keep warm. All of that stuff is life or death. Every year, you're, you're, you're facing down a, a gauntlet. And that's where all of this stuff comes from. And I think maybe we, since we lost the consequences, um, the monsters have just sort of been lurking in the shadows waiting. But I, I really think we're bringing them back because we, we need them. We need, the, we need some sort of contrast to what this saccharine sweet thing that we've made it into. Um, but the good news is uh, Christmas is allowed to be redefined every single year. If you want to make it totally religious and celebrate yeah. the birth of Jesus, have at it. You can. If you want to make it totally secular, uh, you can do that too. It is completely allowed because that's how it started, and that's how it was for the first several thousand years. It goes uh, back it was, to that melting pot. Very secular holiday. Only until very recently did it become much more associated with one religion. Um, but, but traditionally speaking, it's, you know, it's in the melting pots there, the, the wreath, the tree, the evergreen, the, the, the garland, all of that pagan, you know, the, um, and, and I think that's why there's been such a war against Christmas for so long is because they knew biblically speaking, it's not an important holiday. Just let that float out. No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it just isn't. If 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 the Bible wanted us to know the birthday of Jesus, it would have told us. But it didn't because that's not Christianity is defined by Easter, not by Christmas. Uh, Well, they were talking about like if you go by his real birthday because because of like the some of the 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 frankincense and myrrh and some of the stuff that was brought to him. It sounds more like spring in that area. 
That's probably correct. And the, the only clue we get in the Bible as to when Jesus was born is in Luke chapter 2 that says the shepherds were laying out with their flock by night and the angel of the Lord appeared and they were terrified. In Bethlehem, sh uh, shepherds would stay out with their flock only in warm months, only in the spring, the summer, and into the fall. But once it started to get too cold, they stayed inside, which means the only time of year we can rule out, according to the Bible, is like you know, late fall, winter, yeah. and early, earliest parts of spring. It doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't change any part of the story. But I'm just saying, you know, it, it's, not, it's, it's not December 25th. It's such a neat time of year. It is. It is, for sure. Uh, it, and I think when I was a kid, man, Christmas was a drug. And I yeah. was high from like when the fork hit the plate on Thanksgiving dessert through like January 1st. When you're really young, you're just floating on Christmas energy. And you get older and you get a little crankier. And it gets harder to find that Christmas spirit. But the good news is you get to look for it every year and you yeah. can try to rediscover it. Jeff, as we do start to wrap up this week uh, or this week, like you're going to be on here weekly, um, if people want to find the fight, uh, Fright Before Christmas, your website probably the best place to go? Sure, or wherever you get books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any local bookseller can get it. Uh, it's also uh, I, an audio book that I narrated myself. It's on oh, cool. Audible and everywhere else you get audio books, and it's an e-book. So if you do um, Nooks or, or you know any of the e-readers, it's also available there. Uh, we'll put the, all those links at the bottom of the page. Uh, one last thing for you, Jeff. I know you got a lot going on. What's up next for you? What's uh, kind of the rest of 2023 looking like in 2024? So I'm on a story tour right now with The Fright Before Christmas where I get to tell these stories in front of live audiences, and it's so much fun um, to just blow people's minds and share these monsters. So that is going to keep me pretty occupied all the way through the end of the year. And then uh, January starts up, and Ghost Adventures starts filming again, so we'll be back working on that. And then... Uh, my podcast, New England Legends, that's that's still going as well. So it's pretty much just like having five full-time jobs that never end. Yeah, pretty much. I get it. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Well, hey, I, I, I appreciate it so much. Thank you for the time, man. We'll put the links up and stuff. Th this, this was fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Good talking to you.